Uh, last time we saw Abraham, or Abram, I guess, not Abraham yet, but he's he's gone through several tests of faith. And he has, that's going to be going on the whole time too, so y'all have to tune it out. Uh, he's, he's gone through several, several tests of faith. What are some of them? It's easy to be heard in this fellowship hall, so tell me. What were some of the tests of faith that we have seen Abraham go through so far? Famine. The famine in the land, the first thing first thing he happened happened was famine. God sent him to the promised land. First thing, famine. What's the other one? He went to Egypt. What did he do in Egypt? Yeah, he lied, told his told him his wife was his sister. And then after he came back to the promised land, he had another test of faith. What was it? Not enough for them. They had to separate him and Lot. He told Lot to go whichever way he wanted to. Now we're going to have another. He's going to get another test of faith. But this is almost chapter 14 is kind of strange because really the first 15 verses is going to be just set up. I mean, it's talking, if you read it this week, it's talking about different armies and wars that go on in the promised land. But really, the whole thing is just set up for when Abram's going to meet these two kings at the end of chapter 14. And so, the whole the whole test of faith that he's going to have here is that he's going to meet these two kings. One is the king of Sodom. One is the king of Salem. And we're going to talk about that when we get to it. So, I'm going to go through these first 15 verses, but don't get bogged down into thinking, you know, some of it's just, you know, we're talking about kings with big long names and countries that you, some of them you don't know where they are. Don't get bogged down in the storyline of the wars and the, the things that are going on. Really, this is just to let us know what's happening to get us to the point in Abram's life where he is going to be uh, faced with this faced with this, uh, this uh, decision to make, this test of faith whether he's going to have. Okay, is any questions before we start? Y'all good? Y'all awake? <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. All right. So let's go. And what we're going to see is there's the, the promised land hadn't been too promising so far. He's famine. He's not big enough to, uh, the, the promised land is not enough to supply him and Lot together at the same time. Uh, the, we've seen that it's also uh, where it's just not, it's, what we're going to see today is that there's going to be armies that come marching through the promised land. So this land God has sent him to, really, if you're, if I'm Abram, I'm thinking, okay, well, it's not really turned out as promising as you thought it, as I thought it would be. And so what we're going to look at is these wars. It says in verse one, it says, and it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, where's Shinar? Y'all remember? Come on. Huh? Babylon. Yeah, who said that? Houston. You go, Houston. Yes. Shinar is Babylon. Whenever you see Shinar in Scripture, it's talking about Babylon. Talking about Babylonia. And so, it says, The king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elasar, uh, Ketolamer, which is the one who is in charge, king of Elam. Elam is going to be about where Persia is today, modern day Iraq, around there somewhere. And uh, Tidal, the king of nations. Uh, the, that These made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, 
king of Gomorrah, Sinab king of Adma, and Shamabur the king of Zeboim, and king of Bela, which is Zor. There's a lot of names. A lot of them we don't have. Any, you don't have any clue what he's talking about. Basically, what you see there is you got if you got four kings that are kings of regions like Persia, uh, and they're kings of of region. And you got five kings that are kings of cities in the Promised Land, right there around the Dead Sea. King of Sodom, king of Gomorrah, king of this other city. So you got four against five. Four kings of these big regional empires are controlling these five kings. You got me? Any questions? You don't have to remember the names. It's not going to be on the test. Okay? So, and they were joined together in the Valley of Sidon, which is the Salt Sea. That's the Dead Sea, in case you were wondering. Twelve years they served Kedolomer, and the thirteenth year they rebelled. So what you got is these five kings that are in verse 2. The one of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, those... Five kings lived right around the area of the Dead Sea, okay? And they paid tribute to these four big regional kings, the Kedolomer of Elam. They paid tribute. Y'all with me? Now remember, all this is just set up for what we're going to see with Abram. So don't get lost in all the details. They paid tribute to them. They, they were taxed by them. And for 13 years, they served them. They served the, these big high kings, these four kings that were a, a coalition of each other. And on the 13th year, they decided, you know what? We're not paying y'all no more. We're going we're gonna to be independent. We're going to have our own thing. We're going to just do our own thing. And they rebelled. Basically, they said, we're not under your rule anymore. Y'all go stick it. You know, and basically told them just to whatever. Take a hike. Take a leap at a rolling donut. And so the 13th years when they did that, the 14th year in verse 5, Kedolomer, which is the head of this big regional coalition, he decides, okay, so y'all are going to tell us y'all not going to pay taxes anymore. We're going to come down and we're just going to conquer everything. We're just going to bring the armies down through the promised land. Of course, they weren't calling it the promised land, but we know it as the promised land. We're going to bring the armies down through there and we're just going to wipe out everybody. We're going to conquer everybody and everything and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be uh, under our rule whether you like it or not. And so in the 14th year came Kedalamer and the kings that were with him and they smote all these people. I'm not even going to read them. The Rephaim, the Ashtaroth, Karaim, the Zuzim, all these people. What they were doing was they were coming straight down the promised land on the east side just conquering everybody in their path. They got to the bottom, the south end of the promised land. They turned around and they headed towards Sodom. And then now they're going to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah and those five kings that rebelled. Verse 7, they returned uh, and came to Emishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites and the Amorites that dwelt it, wherever that is. And there went out king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma, those five kings that rebelled. They went out and joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. What do you think is going to happen? You got four regional kings and you got four, uh, you got five, um, y'all got chairs over there? You may get one. You got four uh, regional kings. You got five city kings. This, thank you, Brad. The uh, the city kings are going to get their tail whooped. That's what's going to happen. It says, and there went out 
It says, verse, uh, where are we at? Nine? With Ketalamer, the king of Elam, and Tidal, those are, the f- those are the four regional kings. It says four kings against five in verse 9. Verse 10, and the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits. That's tar pits. That's where all that, remember we talked about Noah building the boat and he covered it with pitch. That's the same word that's talking about. It's just tar, slime, that deal. Uh, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. They were beaten and they fell there and remained, and, and they that remained fled to the mountains. So what happened? The kings, the the big head kings that came down to conquer, they conquered. And the four king, the five kings, Sodom, Gomorrah, those different cities that rebelled, they got wiped out. Not wiped out, but they were beaten and they fled. Some of them fell into tar pits. Some of them fell out. You know, some of them fled to the to the mountains. They uh they, they were just beaten and so they scattered. And it says. We're getting somewhere. Stay with me. And they took this army that won. They took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals. What are victuals? Food. Yeah, that's right. Food. I'm glad you knew that. All, all us teenagers, we, we didn't know that. And uh, they took all their food and they went their way and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. When's the last time you saw Lot? He went out on his way. Yeah. Where did, what did Lot decide to do? When God, when Abram told him, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna separate from you, and you go whichever way you want to go, and I'll go the other way." What did Abram? What did Lot do? He took the best spot. He took the best spot, and where was it? Yeah, it was towards Sodom. Now we know it said in that text last time we looked, it said that the men of Sodom were were wicked. These are for you, Brandon. You don't have to set up no more. Uh, the men were uh, exceedingly wicked. So the first thing you see is Lot heading towards Sodom. Now where is it? He's in Sodom. Why is he in Sodom? <laughs> yeah, he got comfortable here, Adam. How many you need? Just one? Two? He is in Sodom. Not only is he in Sodom, but he is in Sodom in such a way that when they conquer Sodom, he looks like he belongs there, so they're going to take him captive. What does that tell you? We talked about it last week. What does that tell you about sin, about wickedness? That's right. He had no intention. He, he had cattle. He had herds. He had servants. He had all these deals. He had no intention of living in Sodom. He moved towards Sodom. But the next time you see him, he's in Sodom. And then what's amazing to me is after this, you know what's going to happen. Abram's going to come save him. Uh, but even after this, in Genesis 18, 19, you're going to see Lot back in Sodom. So even after Abram saves him from this uh, prison, uh, from uh, being a slave to this army, Lot's going to go back. Why would he go back to Sodom after all this had happened. He'd made it his home. We're going to find out his wife really liked Sodom. She really liked being there. He got comfortable there. He got comfortable there. It was easy to live there. We're, all these are, all these could be true. Absolutely. It's easy for us to get comfortable when we uh, when we move start moving towards sin. Easy for us to get comfortable. But what we're going to see is Lot is now he's gone. Remember I told you last time that moving towards Sodom was going to be the biggest mistake Lot ever made in his, in his life? Imagine what Lot's thinking now. He's, not only is he 
Not only was he away from Abram, but he is now probably in a in a caravan headed back to Persia, headed back to wherever they're from. He's leaving the promised land as a slave. All his stuff is gone. All his possessions gone. We know that he has a wife and he has two daughters. We're going to find that out later in the text in the uh, chapter 18. All his family is now going to be slave. He's enslaved. And so this is the reason that Abram gets involved. It says... Uh, They took Lot, Abram's brother's son, and verse 13 says, And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol, and the brother of Anar, and these were confederate with Abram. So not only, remember, this is what you need to remember, Abram is not just a farmer guy. He is now... They call him the Hebrew, which is the first time the word Hebrew is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, And he is the leader of a clan, basically. Just like all these other kings were kings of this city, kings of that. He is pretty much the leader of a clan, and he has allies now. You see these two brothers that are with him? Uh, The Amorite, Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschol and brother of Anar. It says, these were confederate with him. He had allied himself with, or some people that are around him allied himself with them. And they brought news. Hey, Abram, they took your they took your nephew. Lot's gone. And so what Abram did was when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house, 318 and pursued them unto Dan. Why did Abram get involved? Because he loved Lot. That's important. Abram. He, he wasn't getting involved to go get money. He wasn't involved to get glory. He wasn't a military conqueror. Now, if you were just looking at this from the outside, remember this army of, we don't know how many people it was, but it was, it was four confederate regional kings with all of their forces came down through the promised land, conquering city after city after city. And then Abram, he takes 318 guys. Do you think that's going to be a fair fight? Probably not. Probably not. But it does say that they were trained servants. So we know Abram wasn't just a farmer. He was training servants. He was he was training them for defense. He was training them to, you know, to protect his land. He was he was doing all that kind of stuff. And so he sent these he went out with these 318 to basically get Lot back. Now, if you're Abram, what are you thinking? Would you take, that'd be like me saying, you know, I'm going to take two of these kids right here and we're going to go, we're going to go fight 500 people. Is Abram thinking, what, what's going through his mind? Do you think, do you think he's thinking, hey, I'm a great military strategist and therefore I'm going to be able to weep them? No, but I think he's looking back on God's promise. That's right. He's looking, he's got to be. I mean, he's got to be. Can, is Abram, what is, he, what, what is he looking back on? I mean, he's looking back on the promise. What do you think he's thinking? I got to go save Lot. I got to go save my brother. Yeah. And, and is he going to die? Abram, we know he's not going to die. But God made him a promise. Remember, Abram doubted that promise when he was in Egypt. And he tried to finagle his way to make... Remember he told his, uh, he told his wife, he said, tell them you're my sister because if they find out you're my wife, they're going to kill me. And so he kind of finagled his way around trying to save his own life, trying to get things, you know, trying to make everything well with him when the reality was God had already promised him the land. God had already promised him that he would have a seed that no man could number and that he was going to have a son and that all these things were going to go on. And so that was going to come to pass. But at the time, Abraham... 
Abram's faith wasn't where, you know, it hadn't grown. It wasn't where it should be. And then in the next chapter, we saw that he and Lot were about to split up and Abram didn't fight for what was his. He just told Lot, hey, you know what? You go wherever you want to and I'll go the other way. Because I'm not, he wasn't really concerned about keeping what was his. He had the promise of God. And here you're going to see Abram is everything that Cain wasn't. What did Cain tell God? I'm not my brother's keeper. Abram is. It even calls him his brother. Of course, we know he's his nephew, but he he was his relative, his family. He is everything Cain wasn't. He is his brother's keeper. And he goes out risking everything to save his brother. But the, the root, the bottom line, the underlying reality here is that he trusted God's promise. He knew that I can go out there and I can save my brother, the one who is my family, and I can do it with 318 guys because God's with me. That's going to be very important at the end. Okay? Y'all with me? Yeah. Questions? Comments? <laughs> Alright, so Abram pursued him. Okay, this is how he won. This is <laughs> Sorry. In verse 15, it said, And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night. And he smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. If you're looking at a map, what it would look like was this army, like the promised land is like a, line, is like a straight piece of land. And Mediterranean's over here and Persia, Asia is over here. The promised land is this piece of land. This army came from Mesopotamia. They came down the east side, conquering everything as they went. They turned, went back up, conquered Sodom and all that, and then kept on going. Abraham, after they conquer Sodom, starts chasing them, and he catches up with them right about the north part of the promised land, and he chases them all the way to Damascus, is outside of the promised land in Syria. Okay, y'all with me? Can y'all see that picture? Okay. He got his he got his uh, he got his guy and he uh, he got Lot and he says he, verse sixteen says and he brought him back here y'all can get one of these it's all good man that's stuck that's all right it's kind of, sorry it's kind of a weird day anyway we we usually not meeting in here <coughs> and so that's the background okay all of that is not what the text is about. That's just telling you how Abram got involved, how what what happened with the international war. But understand all that's background, but that's big news. That would have been I mean that would have been like that would have been big news. That wouldn't have been like a little thing like, oh, there's a little skirmish going on. That would have been on the front page of every newspaper around the world. World War is going on. You know, it would have been huge. But for us, for Abram, it's just the background to his story. It's just the background to how Abram got involved and what happened with Abram. So in Genesis 14, verse 16, this is where we learn what we're supposed to know from the text. Okay? I know it's a lot of background. I knew that the whole first part of that chapter was going to be well, going to be tough for us to read through and understand. But he said, 
And he brought back all the goods, and he brought back again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people. So Abram got all the stuff that they had taken from Sodom, <coughs> from Gomorrah, and all these things, and he, he had conquered him with his 318 men, had gotten all the spoils back that they had taken, where the, the city kings couldn't defeat. He went and he did he brought it back. And Abram is going to come back with all the stuff, and he's going to meet two people. He's going to meet two people are going to come out to meet him. One is the king of Sodom, and one is this man who is very mysterious in Scripture. His name is Melchizedek, and he is called the king of Salem here, and that's kind of who we're going to focus on, these two. And what? let me just tell you where we're going, and so that way you'll know when we get there. Uh, what Abram's going to do is he's going to honor Melchizedek, who is the priest of the Most High. The God of, he's a priest of God. He is also going to be shown, I'm going to read you some New Testament passages about, he is a foreshadow of who Jesus Christ is going to be, a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so Abram's going to honor this priest, this man, who is a foreshadow of Christ. And this other king, king of Sodom, Abram's going to pretty much shun him. He's going to deny, he's going to, you know, this king is going to offer him spoils, he's going to offer him the money that he got, and Abram's going to say, uh, no, no thank you. So what we're going to see here is Abram continues to trust the promise of God, and he's not going to make the same mistake that he made when he was in Egypt, okay? Y'all with me? That's where we're going. It says, he brought those things back. Verse 17 says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedolomer and the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, uh, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. So the king of Sodom, we're going to talk more about him in a minute. First, we're going to focus in on these, this king, Melchizedek. Um, there's not a lot spoken about Melchizedek. We know that he's a a priest. We know that he's a priest of the Most High God. That's El Elyon. That means he's the, the creator God. He's talking about the true God. Not some fake God. Not some idol like the rest of these. He is a priest of the High God. Incidentally, this is the first mention in the Bible of the word priest. This is the first time that you see a priest or that you hear the word priest or that the idea of a priest is mentioned. And so all the, all the priests that you're going to see in Leviticus and all those kind of things, the idea of that priesthood is, it's not going to be based on Melchizedek, but it's loosely uh, tied to Melchizedek. They're going to be uh, Levitical priests, and we're going to see in the book of Hebrews, we're going to read that here in just a second, that that is the whole point of the book of Hebrews in the chapter 7. He says that the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is what Jesus is a part of, is better than the priesthood of Le Leviticus. Y'all are looking at me like, okay, I'm now I'm really lost. Okay. Let's just look at him first and then we'll explain. Melchizedek, king of Salem. The word Melchizedek means king of righteousness and king of Salem. Salem is where we get the word shalom, which means what? Peace. You know, peace. Yeah. King of righteousness, king of peace. You look like you want to say something. I got a question. Okay. I'll try to hear you over the... This Melchizedek because he's a priest. Because Aaron was a priest. Okay. Did they? Is there any commonality between the two of them? Well, there's a commonality in the fact that the the priest 
points toward the priesthood of Jesus. Does that make sense? Uh, a priest, of, a priest. whether you're talking about Melchizedek, whether you're talking about Aaron's priesthood or the Levitical priesthood, their job was basically to take a sacrifice into the temple, sacrifice it to cover the sins of the people, and basically represent you before God. Okay? And I'm sure there's a reason behind it. One of these things, maybe I'll understand it. There's so much more about Aaron when this guy, like you said, is so mysterious. Yes, he is. And the New Testament authors are going to use that mystery. I'm going to read you some passages in the I New Testament. I read all of it because it was, you know, when I was thinking <laughs> this one time, I thought. This guy's just fascinating. He thinks I can say no more than he does. Now. Yeah, it doesn't. This is really the only place in Genesis that he talks about Melchizedek, and you don't get a lineage. You don't know who his parents were. You don't know what. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It just shows up. We don't know where. Incidentally, Salem, the the place Salem, will turn into Jerusalem. Yes, and so he's he's going to be. It's going to be a very important important guy. But what I want y'all to see is. The idea of priests, sometimes you get the idea of the dude with the white thing on his collar and, you know, that guy. The idea of priest in Scripture is you you have a priest today. There's only one. And that's Jesus Christ. I'm not your priest. Brother Ed is not your priest. No guy is your priest. Your priest is Jesus Christ. He goes, he does the priestly work. He goes into the Holy of Holies and he offers sacrifice. What was the sacrifice he offered? Yeah, himself, his own blood at the altar. And so he is, this Melchizedek, the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us, is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. He is he is a priest of God from really, we don't know where, we don't know where he comes from. We don't. He just shows up in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this stuff. We don't know anything about him other than he is a priest of God. He brings out to Abram bread and wine, which is a foreshadow of the table fellowship, the communion that we have. He brings bread and wine to Abram, and he's basically coming out to to meet him. And what what's Abram going to do? Let me show you this, and then we'll then we'll continue. I know I'm losing some of you. It says, this is what Melchizedek does for Abram. He says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed, he said, and blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave, Abram gave him, the priest, Melchizedek, tithes of all that he had. So what you see here is... Melchizedek is this priest from we don't know where. We don't know where he come from, but we do know he's a priest of the, the Most High God. He's a servant of the true God, the God of Abraham. He says, blessed be Abram. He says, God has delivered your enemies into your hands, doesn't he? So who is Melchizedek giving the glory to for Abram's great victory? He's giving it to God, and then he blessed him. And then what does Abram do for Melchizedek? He gives Melchizedek his tithes, which is... That's what God says. 
That's right. And t- the word tithe means a tenth. And so he gives him a tenth of all that he has. And he is, he is, what we're seeing here is Abram is recognizing that this man here, this priest of God is greater than him. And when he's given a tithe to Melchizedek, he's not just giving, hey, I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this guy some money. I'm going to give this guy some money. He is giving his tithe to God through this man, Melchizedek, who has blessed him and is greater than him. That makes sense? Now let me read to you just a few things. In Psalm 110, you don't have to follow me, but you can write these down. You can look them up later. The only other time in the Old Testament Melchizedek is mentioned is Psalm 110. And you all know it. You've heard it before. In Psalm 110, verse 1, it says... um, It says, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies my footstool. And then skipping down to verse four, it says, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever, according of Melchizedek. So who is who is he talking about? right? He's talking about Christ. That's David talking about Christ. Remember, he quoted Jesus, quoted this psalm and said to the Pharisees, David said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand. Who was he talking? about who did David call his Lord and they knew it was the Messiah and so in Hebrews I'm gonna read you this passage and then we'll move on I know this is this is I knew this was gonna be a kind of a hard chapter chapter 15 is like my absolute favorite in Genesis but I couldn't skip 14 I mean I could but I didn't want to chapter 7 of Hebrews says this. Listen close. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, he's talking about what we just read in Genesis, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, that's what Melchizedek means, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which means king of peace, king of Shalom means king of peace. He says, this guy Melchizedek, verse 3, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, he abideth a priest continually. Now consider how this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abram gave a tenth of the spoils. He says, and verily they they that are of the sons of Levi who receive the office of priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is uh, of their brethren that they come out of the loins of Abraham. Now, did y'all understand that? Does that make sense? What he said was, this guy, Melchizedek, he says, is without father, without mother. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have parents or he was, you know, miracled down from heaven or something like that. It means that we don't know who is, we don't know anything about it. He just shows up out of nowhere. He said, this Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without descent, we don't have his lineage, having neither beginning of days or end of life, meaning we don't know when he was born, we don't know when he was died, we don't know when he died. All we know is he showed up to see Abram and he blessed Abram. Abram gave him a tenth and he was a priest of the Most High God. He said, this man, Melchizedek, was made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. What he's saying there is that this is a picture. This Melchizedek is a foreshadow, a picture of 
of who Jesus will be. The perfect priest, the only priest that is able to make sacrifice for you. And so what you see here is that Abram is, Abram is given a picture of the gospel. In this man, this priest of, of the Most High God who comes out of nowhere. And, and all we know is that he was a priest of God. He is given a picture. The Bible says in John chapter 8 verse 56, Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. You ever read that passage before? Abram understood that this person represented the the perfect priest, the, the priests of God, greater than he, to whom he paid tithes, and to whom he received blessing from. Y'all see that? It makes sense? And then, while he's doing that, this other guy, the king of Sodom, is also there. And the king of Sodom is watching all this, and he says, I'm going to get in on some of the action. Y'all any questions? I know that's... It means king of righteousness. Melech means king and uh, the other part means righteousness. <laughs> uh, it says, and the king of Sodom, he's wanting to get in on action here. King of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons, give me all the people. He says, and you take the goods for thyself. Now, what did the king of Sodom actually win? Y'all with me? Did he do? What did the king of Sodom do? Did, in, in this battle of kings, what did he do? He got his rear end tore up. That's all he did. He didn't get nothing. In the rules of ancient warfare, who gets the spoils? The victor, yeah. All this stuff really, by right, belongs to Abram. And so the king of Sodom, Melchizedek, came out bringing bread and wine, bringing a blessing to Abram. And Abram gave him a tithe in honor of that he was the priest of the Most High God. The king of Sodom didn't bring nothing. And so he sees this transaction going on where blessing is given to Abram, where bread and wine is given to Abram. And Abram comes and gives a, a tithe to uh, Melchizedek uh, because of who he is and because he is a priest of the Most High God. And the, the king of Sodom all, all, all of a sudden says, OK, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be magnanimous. I'm going to give you all the spoils, all the goods. Just let me have the people back. And Abram says to him, look at verse, we're almost done. It said, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord. What does that mean? I've made an oath. I've made an oath. I've made a vow. I've made a vow to the Lord, the most high God, the same thing he is called throughout this text. Melchizedek was the priest of the most high God. He says, I've made an oath to the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say I have made Abram rich. He said, I'm not taking anything from you whatsoever. Where did he learn that lesson? Uh, yeah. Right now on the planet, as Abram is there talking to the king, there's only one man on the planet anywhere that could say, I'm the one that made Abram rich. I'm the one who gave Abraham. And who was that? 
It was Pharaoh. Yeah. Remember, he left Egypt. He was shamed. He was he was humiliated. He was repentant. He had I mean, he had just messed everything up. And somewhere between there and here, he made a vow to God. I'm not going to take anything from anybody anymore uh, so that God would be robbed of his glory. What the king of Sodom wanted was he wanted to ally himself with Abram. Abram is obviously, well, we know he's blessed of God, but he's obviously a pretty good military guy. He's obviously a powerful guy. He's obviously rich now, especially since he's got all the stuff that these kings took from him. Uh, this would be a good guy to align myself with. It would also be a good guy for for me to say, you know, I can imagine the king of Sodom going, yeah, you know that Abraham? Yeah, he, he's a pretty gay guy. Really, really, uh, I let him have the stuff that, you know, he, he got because, you know, he, he did a good job. We were all in this war together and we kind of, he was kind of allying himself with Abram when he was making this, this offer. He was allying himself with Abram to make this offer, but he was also, in Abram's mind, he was robbing God of glory, wasn't he? Who did Melchizedek say was the one who won the war? It was God. God, blessed be God who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram was not going to let this king of Sodom steal the glory of God for winning this war. Now, Abram is about to lose all of the goods and all of the stuff. He's about to, the king of Sodom is about to take all his junk back. And Abram's not going to take any of it. How could Abram do that? Um... In my mind, you'd be thinking, man, I won all this. I did this. I'm the one who sacrificed everything. I'm the one who chased these guys down. Why was Abraham okay to say, I don't want none of this stuff? Because yeah, he trusted the promise of God. He would no longer trust in men. He would no longer trust in the world. He would not trust in what people could do to bless him or to keep him or to provide for him. He knew he wasn't in it for the money in the first place. What was the reason he went off to war? To save Lot. He did exactly that. And he was not going to allow any man... Now that he had learned this lesson from Pharaoh, he was not going to compromise with the world. You see, that's what Sodom, the king of Sodom, wanted him to do. You got one king, Melchizedek, here, who was a priest of God, who blessed Abraham, who gave the glory to God for the battle that he won. He, uh, he, uh, he gave uh, the communion to, to Abram, and he, Abram paid tithes to him uh, in honor of the God that he served. And then you got this guy on the other side saying, look, I'm going to give you all this stuff. You just let me have the people that belong to my city, and you can keep all of this stuff and basically Abraham says talk to the hand you know I'm not talking to this guy and so he is refusing to compromise refusing to compromise with the world and that's something that you and I we have to deal with on a day in day out basis you and I just like Abram have promises from God that I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you we have promises that Christ is our all in all that he is our satisfaction our life we have promises that all things are going to work together for good for those who love God and call it according to his purpose. You just pick your promise. No weapon form can come against you and prosper. 
you know, whatever. You've got, you've got a myriad of promises in the gospel that we, uh, that we own as ours because Christ has bought them. He is our high priest. He is our Melchizedek that comes and blesses us and honors God through us and sacrifices for us and gives us the word of God, the promise of God. He is our priest that does this. And then on the other side, you have today as well as then, you have the king of Sodom. You have the world that's saying, look, I will give you this. I'll give you that. I will give you all these things if you will just ally with me. If you'll just come and and, and say that, you know, uh, allow me to say that I'm the one who did it for you, that I helped you, that I gave you these things. If you will just do that, you know, everything will go well with you and you'll have a greater army. You'll be more successful. You'll be more prosperous. You got the same two choices today. You got one on the one, you got one side, you've got Jesus, the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek that gives you everything God has to offer. All the promises in Christ are yea and amen and you can trust them in Christ. And on the other side, you have the king of Sodom that comes to you in the form of the world, the flesh and the devil that will come and he will he will try to take glory from God. He will try to get you to deny the promise. He will try to get you to ally with him. He will try to get, give you, promise you the world and give you all these things. But really, we know all he wants to do is take. And what we see here, Abram has grown in his faith in such a way that he trusts in the promise of God to the extent that he basically tells the king of Sodom just to go stick it. Y'all see that? Does that make sense? See, all that wars and stuff, you thought, man, I don't, this is boring, but it got to a point. It got to a point at the end. That's why I told you it was, it was, it would. Uh, The only thing that Abram does, last verse and then we're done. The only thing that Abram does is he says, save only. He says, I'm not taking nothing from you. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men that went with me, Anner, Eskel, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. Who is Anner, Eskel, and Mamre? We saw them earlier. Huh? His allies. These guys joined with him to go to war to get Lot. They haven't made a promise to say, I'm not taking nothing from you. They... Abram allows them. He says, look, they need to be compensated for what they have spent. Isn't that, isn't that good that he, 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 is, he is allowed to keep the... God made him a promise. Those who bless you, what's it going to I'll bless. And so Abram understands, look, I'm going to make sure that these men here, I, I have taken a vow that I'm not taking nothing from you. I'm not taking anything from you. God is going to be my, but, but these men here need to be taken care of. And so we're going to give them their portion and I'm going to go on my merry way and I'm not going to have to worry about any of those things. And so what you see in this text is basically what I want you to see is despite all the wars and the people's names, that we can't pronounce and all of that stuff. All that is background to what got Abram involved in this leading up to a point where he is faced with two opposing decisions. Number one, you are going to honor your priest, which we know is Jesus Christ, the only priest that we have. You're going to honor the priest that made sacrifice for you. You're going to honor uh, the promise that God made to you and you're going to trust in that alone or you're going to ally yourself with the world and it's you know devious means of of trying to prosper you or promising you things that it can't deliver you have the 
same choice today that Abram had in that day. You're going to trust in Christ alone or you're going to ally yourself with the world. Jesus or John in 1 John says, if, uh, if any man loves the world, what's the rest of the verse? The love of the Father is not in him. You can't, you can't love God and mammon. Jesus said it himself. You can't serve two masters. You can't eat from both cups. Abram trusted in the promise of God. And he, we know he was delivered. Now, last thing. Don't think Abram got, remember, we know he messed up in Egypt. I'll let you in on a little secret. He's going to do the same stupid thing he